worthy. And they say, because you, the Lamb, have redeemed us by your blood. Are you getting the picture? Yes, God receives worship. Yes, we are to worship God. But the important question is why? If you know me, I always like asking why. Why? Why are we to worship God? And equally important to ask is, why does God want me to worship him? So there's the, the, there's two perspectives in here. There's two sides. Why is it important for me to worship him? And why does he want me to worship him? To simply worship God is not good enough. Jesus says, talking to the, to the Jews at that time, he says, he answered and said unto them, well, have Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips. Many people worship with their lips, prayer, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things as these. You do, right? Yes, they are teaching wrong things. Yes, they are disregarding God's commandment. But the root of it all, the cause of it all, is that their hearts are far from God. That's the real issue. That is the key. Right? So why are you worshipping God? Are you worshipping God because the Bible says so? Are you worshipping God because you want to be saved? Are you worshipping God because you want to please him or appease him? Or are you worshipping God because you are convicted that he is worthy? There is a big, massive difference. Is the atheist right? Is God egotistic in seeking our worship? Before you say no, I want you to examine yourself. Why are you worshiping him? What does your conduct, what does your heart say? It's easy to say the atheist is wrong. Anybody can say that. But if you are worshiping God for any other reason other than because he is worthy, you are in fact supporting the atheist's claim. I want you to consider what I just said. If you are worshipping God because God said, I have to worship him, then you're supporting the atheistic, uh, uh, the atheist idea. If you're worshipping God because you want to appease him or, or you want to go to heaven, then you're saying, unless I get down on my knees and beg him, he will not let me in. He will punish me. So you are in fact saying that God is egotistic and unless I appease him, Unless I feed his ego by praising him, he will not let me in. The true worshiper will have the true reason to worship. And that is because they understand that God is worthy of our worship. Well, what does that mean? It means that worship is the natural outflow of understanding and knowing him. It is the natural outflow of having an experience with God. In other words, unless your worship is motivated by an experience you have with God, you are not truly worshiping him. You are simply paying homage to someone out of fear or out of a desire to be rewarded. I want you to think of these words that I put on the screen. I put them on the screen because I want you to think of them. I want it to sink deep. Unless 
your worship is motivated by an experience with God. You're not truly worshiping. You're not a true worshiper. There is a big difference between paying homage to God, doing what I must do to keep things right, doing what I must do to keep God happy, happy, and worshiping Him because my worship is motivated or is based on an experience that I had with Him. I, I hope I'll, uh, it will get clearer as I keep going. What I'm saying what I'm just telling you now is nothing really out of this world. It's nothing new. It is something that each and everyone, even the atheist practices or experiences almost every day of their life. Uh, let me give you some examples. Readers, for example, they praise their favorite authors. Lovers praise their partners. Parents praise their children. And at times, there was a time, and maybe rarely these days, citizens praise their favorite politicians. Not as much these days. There isn't too many good of them, right? But, but why? Why do we praise the things we love? Why do we praise the things we like? Because praise completes the enjoyment of whatever it is that we like. We go to a restaurant and enjoy a lovely meal. The next person we see, we tell him all about it. Why? Because praising what we like is like the icing on the cake. It, it, it completes the process of enjoyment. When was the last time you watched a movie that you really liked, you were really touched by, or you read a book that you were really touched by, and you didn't tell anybody about it? I mean, just in Sabbath school, just before, uh, Ian was sharing with us uh, 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 a book that he just finished reading that he was touched by. Why is why was Ian sharing the book with us? Why was Ian praising the author? I mean, it, uh, of course, he's not worshiping the author. He's praising. He's saying, oh, he's, he's a good author and a good book. And I recommend you guys to read it. Why? Because praising what we like is part of the process of enjoying it. Are you getting what I'm saying? Praising what we like is part of the process of enjoying it because Ian enjoyed the book. A part of that enjoyment enjoyment was him sharing it with us. We all do it. Each and every one of us do it. Whenever you enjoy something so much, you end up telling someone else about it, right? You have come... Uh, 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 when, when you tell someone about something, it is because you've come to realize that that book, that movie, that meal, whatever it is, is worth praising. You're convicted that that thing is so good. It touched your heart. It is worth praising. And at the same time, praising a movie or a book that you never watched or read is no real praise. It is worth nothing because you have no idea what you're talking about. Now, I happen to have the same book that Ian was talking about in, in, in Sabbath school. Uh, Melissa bought it for me, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago. I started reading it and I got busy, didn't finish reading it. If I stand up here, well, sit, I'm sitting. If I sit here and, and, and I start praising the book, my praise is worthless. 
Because I didn't read the book. I know nothing about the book. Why in the world should I praise it? Right? It, 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 it'll be just a matter of, um, I'm praising it because I want to get on the in within and say, you see, I know, I know, or something of that sort. Or, or because I know the author is, is in the audience and he's hearing me and I want to get, you know, a smile from him or I want to get a free copy of his new book or something of that sort. Are you following what I'm trying to say? True praise comes from an experience. It's a part of an experience. You with me? It's like the icy. Praising something you like is like the icing on the cake. Now, let us apply these illustrations that I just shared with or to worship. If we truly understand what God has done for us and not only understand it, but experience it in our hearts and spirit, you cannot help but praise him. And this is true worship. If you have experienced God, if you truly have experienced God, You cannot help but worship him. And that is true worship. Why? Because you would have come to realize that he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of worship because of who he is and what he has done in your life. You are not worshiping him because you are obliged to or because you want to get something from him or because you are wanting to escape the punishment. No, you are praising him because you have tasted and are convicted that the Lord is good. Because you have experienced him and know that he is worthy of worship. Because you have had an enjoyable experience with him and praising him completes the process of enjoyment. Are you following what I'm saying? On the other hand, Worshipping God without having that experience with him is no worship at all. It is not true worship. It is simply paying homage, going through the rituals. But it is not true worship. That is the difference between the true worshiper who is worshipping in spirit and in truth and a wrong worshiper who is worshiping according to the rituals and 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 uh, and the rites and out of external uh, uh, manifestations and and so forth, but it's not in spirit and the reality. Now, just a side note in here: the reality is your view of your experience with God is linked is very strongly linked with your view of hardship and trials. We all go through hard times. We all have times of disappointment in our walk with God. You will be lying if you tell me you've never had any point where you were in a way disappointed with God or you've been hurt or whatever word you want to say it, right? We all go through hardships and disappointments and so forth. Now, a correct view of these hardships will stop you from thinking that you do not have an enjoyable relationship with God. Oh, I don't have an enjoyable relationship with God because uh, this happened to me or that happened to me or so, and God allowed this and God allowed that. Um, that's why I so often, I've shared many times, and I have sermons uh, online uh, about the importance of understanding the storms that come our way uh, or, or how to view the situation when we are disappointed with God. It's very important. In short, I, I won't spend time with that. I have other sermons on it. 
But in short, you got to ask yourself, the challenge that I'm facing, is it to hinder my walk with God or to make my walk with God stronger? Is it to draw me away from God or closer to God? Your view, your perspective on the trial and the difficulty that you're going through makes all the difference. Is it in your way or is it on the way? Can you benefit from it on your way or on that path? Or do you see it as an obstacle in my way and I can no, uh, and I can go no further with, with God because of that? Your perspective makes all the difference. <clears throat> so anyway, I, I, I will leave that point, but, but it's very important. All I'm trying to say, it's very important how you perceive difficulties and hardships because they will paint the color of that relationship you have with God, whether it's enjoyable or not. And hence, if it is an enjoyable relationship with God, true worship will stem out of it. I'll leave it at that with, with this one. Now, the other question is, why does God want me to worship him? <clears throat> we looked at why should I worship God, right? The answer is because simply worship stems out of that experience I had with God. It's a natural outflow. Okay, we looked at that. But the question is now, why does God want me to worship him? Why is God seeking? Jesus says the father seeketh such to worship. Why is the father seeking, desiring people to worship him? Is it because he's egotistic or, or he wants to feed his pride and ego? <clears throat> Again, if you understood the answer to the first part of the question, it will be very easy to understand, even without me saying it, the answer to the second question or the second part, right? The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, God gave us his son <clears throat> so we can have life, so we can be saved, so we can be happy. I'm not talking about the happiness that comes from watching a comedy movie, right? I'm, I'm talking about the internal happiness, satisfaction, and peace that we have in Christ. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, think of this. If it is true, if it is true, what every human being observes in every aspect of our lives, that enjoyment leads to praise. That enjoyment, enjoyment leads to praise. Not only that, but that praise completes enjoyment. <clears throat> Are you following me? If it is correct, what every human being experiences, right? Every human, in the life of every human being, there is evidence to prove that what I'm saying is correct. Atheist or theist, it doesn't make a difference, right? Enjoyment leads to praise and praise completes enjoyment. If that is true, then here is how I see it. <clears throat> here is how I see why God wants me to worship him. God knows that knowing him Having a relationship with him and loving him brings joy, peace, and satisfaction into my life. God knows that having a relationship with him, me having a relationship with him and loving him brings joy, peace, and satisfaction into my life. And he also knows 
that the pinnacle or the culmination of my uh, spiritual and internal joy will end up in worshiping him. Are, are you following the connection of the two? <clears throat> I should have put, on, put them on the screen. If enjoyment leads to praise and praise completes enjoyment, if that is true, which I believe it is, and God knows that having an experience with him brings joy and peace and satisfaction in my heart. And that the pinnacle of that satisfaction, the spiritual internal joy and satisfaction will end up in worshiping him. If that is true, <clears throat> then that makes sense why God wants me to worship him. Just like your love for a book will lead you to praise the writer or your love for a girl will lead you to compliment her. In the same way, your love for God will lead you to praise and worship him. So when Jesus says, God is seeking, desiring, requiring, demanding people to worship him in spirit and in truth. What he is saying is that the father is desiring, <clears throat> requiring, demanding and longing for you and me to reach the pinnacle of our joy, to reach the pinnacle of our satisfaction as a result of knowing him. Are you following my point? Jesus is saying that the father is longing for you to get to know him so well, to understand him so well, to experience him, experience him so well, that your joy and satisfaction, which comes from such an experience, will lead you to the icing of the cake, will lead you to praise him from the bottom of your heart. That is true worship. God is not seeking me to worship him so I can feed his ego. This is a pathetic way of looking at it. Only a person who does not understand what true worship is will come to such conclusion. God wants you and me to worship him so you and me can experience that joy and peace and satisfaction which surpasses this world. God knows that the moment you experience it, you will worship him. Not for his sake, but as a result of the experience you just had. Allow me to illustrate it this way. <clears throat> Let's say that your son or your daughter, your child lives somewhere abroad in another state. Well, this day and age in Australia, another state, it's like living in another country. You can't cross the border, right? Let's say they live in another state than you are and it's their birthday and you send them this, this gift that you knew all their life they wanted it and you finally found it. You bought it and you shipped it to them, right? And here you are as a parent, you're sitting by the phone day and night. I'm exaggerating a bit, but you know what I mean. Day and night, wanting your son or your daughter to call you. You're not wanting them to call you so you can fill your ego. But because you know that when the phone rings, it's a sign that your son received the gift and the happiness and joy in his heart has led him to call you. As a father, you're not absorbed by the praise you will get. You just want to see your child happy. But you know that this particular joy, this gift and happiness will lead him to call you. So you are standing, sitting there by the phone saying, please call, Lord, please let him call. Are you getting the picture? I mean, you got to be really stupid to think that the father is sitting there 
the parent is sitting there waiting for the child to call because the parent want to be feed his ego. Oh, I did this. You gotta be really, you know, no emotions there, no connections. Now, in the same way, the father is longing for you to call him. He's longing for your call. He's standing there next to the phone waiting for you to call. To call. He's longing for you to worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm not talking about he's longing for you to get down on your knees and pray. I'm not saying he's longing for you to go to church on Sabbath or Sunday and hear your favorite preacher or, or your, your, your worship music or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. That could be part of it, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you, God is longing for that call that will come from your heart to him. That internal longing, internal satisfaction that leads you to praise him because you've connect, you're finally connected. That is when you worship God in spirit, in truth. Not to feed his ego again, not for his benefit, but because getting to that type of worship is a sign that you have received the gift. You have experienced the joy. You're finally connected. You with me? So God is simply wanting you to experience him, to know him, and to know his love, which will naturally lead to you worshiping him in spirit and in truth. That is why the father is seeking, is longing, is wanting you to worship him. Not for his sake, but for your sake. He's longing, he's wanting, he's, he's desperately desiring for you to get to that place where you finally rest. You finally are satisfied. You finally connect. Are you with me? Now allow me to finish our time is almost up. Allow me to finish with this passage. And I want you to notice how Paul links the true worshiper who worships in spirit and in truth with the true love and experience which leads to giving up all to Christ. Notice what Paul says. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. That's the worship that Jesus was talking about, worshiping in spirit and truth, right? Paul is saying, we are a circumcision that worship God in the spirit. The word circumcision is saying that we, we are the truth, the reality. We enter into that reality. No longer the physical circumcision of the flesh, but the reality of it, circumcision of the heart. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. It's no longer about the type. It's about the anti-type. Then he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh, that he has whereof uh, he might trust in the flesh. I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, he goes on to say, blameless, right? It's not on the screen, but it is in your Bible. Blameless. Now, in other words, what Paul is saying, we Christians... Those who, who have Christ within are the ones who worship God in the spirit and in the truth. We don't put our trust in the flesh, meaning in our Jewish heritage or in our case, in our denominational heritage. I really don't care what denomination you come from. That's not the it. Neither do we place it in the ceremonial and, 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 and 
carnal rituals which which took place in the earthly sanctuary or in my accomplishments and obedience and and whatever style of worship that I have. That is not it, right? He goes on to say, but what things were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. What Paul is saying is, all my heritage, all my accomplishments, all my pride, I happily give up just to get to know Christ, just to win him, just to have him. I don't care about anything else in the world. Now, this is true worship. This is what the worshiper who worships God in spirit and truth, that's what they will experience. I'm willing to give up all for him. It's like the parable that Jesus gave of of the merchant who who found a a pearl of great price. He, He sold everything to have it. This is what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. This is why we ought to worship God, because we love him, because he is worthy. Uh, 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 And and that's why the Bible tells us that um, we will get to the marriage feast of the lamb. The imagery of marriage is, is, is used because marriage is really the culmination of love. When, when two people love each other, that love is culminated in their marriage, right? And that's what God is trying to tell us through that imagery. So I'll close with this question. Are you a true worshiper? If you are, you will be worshiping God because he is worthy. You will be worshiping God because of the experience you had with him. Your worship will be the natural outflow of thanks and praise and gratitude to what he has done and is doing in your life. If you're worshiping for any other reason, you're not a true worshiper. Whose side are you on? The atheist who talks about God's ego or Jesus who's appealing for us to worship the father who seeks, who's longing for you to worship him in spirit and in truth. So I pray, I pray that we will all get to that place where we have such an experience with God, that that experience, that relationship, understanding him, understanding his love will drive us to our knees, not out of fear, not to feed God's ego, but rather because it completes our joy. It completes the experience that we have embarked Amen. I will leave it with that. I will close with a word of prayer and then we'll uh, open it for questions. So join me for a prayer if you can, please. Our Father in heaven above, we thank you, Lord, with all our hearts for what you have blessed us with in your son. Lord, we know that we are not worthy, but as we contemplate on our unworthiness and at the same time, on the heart that you have drawn us to, as your scripture says, 
you have made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As we contemplate on, on, on our sins and on the free forgiveness that we have on Jesus, as we contemplate on how we chose death and the eternal life that you freely give us in Jesus, Lord, as we contemplate on how we ran away from you and how you chased us and offered your love for us and forgiveness. Lord, I pray that through your spirit, it will drive us to our knees to give praise and honor and glory to your name as a result of what you have done because we know that you are worthy of it. Lord, we love you. We leave ourselves in your hands now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.